0: FOSS Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness. Of nature gone strange, this is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello everybody, it's Terry from Texas again. I want to talk about reptile humanoids. It is said that reptile humanoids are taking over positions of authority, or so some conspiracy theorists theorize. What are these people thinking? When did reptilian aliens come into common consciousness? Well, let's take a look at this weird concept. Reptilians, which are also called reptoids, lizard people, reptiloids, saurians, and draconians is another term for reptilian humanoids which play a prominent role in fantasy science fiction, ufology, and conspiracy theories. The idea of reptiles was popularized by David Ike who is an English conspiracy theorist and a former footballer and sports broadcaster. Ike has written more than 20 books and has lectured in over 25 countries And he claims shape-shifting reptilian aliens control Earth by taking on human form and gaining political power to manipulate human societies. Ike has stated on multiple occasions that many world leaders are, or are possessed by, so-called reptilians. Looking at many of the world's leaders, that's not a far stretch, but anyway. Michael Barkin, professor of political science at Syracuse University, posits that the idea of a reptilian conspiracy originated in the fiction of Conan the Barbarian creator Robert E. Howard. The first appearance of serpent men in literature was in Howard's story The Shadow Kingdom, published in Weird Tales in August of 1929. Pay attention. This is a science fiction comic book. This story drew on theosophical ideas of the lost worlds of Atlantis and Lemuria, particularly Helena Blavatsky's The Secret Doctrine, written in 1888 with its reference to dragon men, who once had a mighty civilization on a Lemurian continent. Howard's serpent men were described as humanoids with human bodies and snakeheads, who were able to imitate humans at will, and who lived in underground passages and used their shape-changing and mind-control abilities to infiltrate humanity. Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, often known as Madame Blavatsky, was a controversial Russian occultist, philosopher, and author who co-founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. She gained an international following as the leading theoretician of theosophy, the esoteric movement that the society promoted. Clark Ashton Smith used Howard's serpent men in his stories, as well as themes from H.P. Lovecraft, and he, Howard, and Lovecraft, together laid the basis for the Cthulhu mythos. In the 1940s, Maurice Doriel, also known as Claude Doggins, wrote a pamphlet entitled Mysteries of the Gobi, that described a serpent race with bodies like man but heads like a great snake and an ability to take human form. These creatures also appeared in Doriel's poem, The Emerald Tablets, in which he referred to Emerald Tablets written by Thoth, an ancient Atlantean priest-king. Barkin asserts that, in all likelihood, Doriel's ideas came from the Shadow Kingdom and that, in turn, the Emerald Tablets formed the basis for David Icke's book, Children of the Matrix. Historian Edward Guinant has argued that the reptilian conspiracy theory particularly as expounded by Ike, drew from earlier pseudo-historical legends developed during the colonization of Africa, particularly surrounding Great Zimbabwe and the Mokele Mbembe. Now, in cryptozoology, the Mokele Mbembe is a water-dwelling entity that lives in the Congo River Basin, sometimes described as a living creature, sometimes as a spirit. It is often depicted as a brontosaurus-like creature, sometimes as a much more vicious dragon-like monster. Alien abduction narratives sometimes allege contact with reptilian aliens. One of the earliest reports was that of Ashland, Nebraska police officer Herbert Shermer, who under hypnosis recalled being taken aboard a UFO in 1967 by humanoid beings with a slightly reptilian appearance, who wore a winged serpent emblem on the left side of their chests. Skeptics consider his claims to be a hoax, as skeptics would, you know? According to conspiracy theorist Ike, who first published on this theme in his 1999 work, The Biggest Secret, tall, blood-drinking, shape-shifting reptilian humanoids from the Alpha Draconis star system, now hiding in underground bases, are the force behind a worldwide conspiracy against humanity. He contends that most of the world's ancient and modern leaders are related to these reptilians, including the Merovingian dynasty of France, the Rothschilds, the Bush family, and the British royal family. Oh, please. Ike's conspiracy theories now have supporters in up to 47 countries, and he has given lectures to crowds of up to 6,000. American writer, Vicky Santillano included it in her list of the ten most popular conspiracy theories. Tall, scaly humanoids or reptilian humanoid beings date back at least as far as ancient Egypt with the crocodile-headed river god Sobek. Reptilians have appeared in popular culture for decades, from the writings of the aforementioned Conan creator Robert Howard to mid-20th century pulp fiction mags to 60s TV with the episode of Star Trek called Arena, where Kirk taught generations of curious little boys how to make rudimentary black powder featuring the Gorn, a T-Rex-headed humanoid lizard who fought Kirk and lost. But then again, Kirk's the hero. They appeared on Saturday morning TV in the 70s with the Sleestack, barely intelligent lizard-type beings on Land of the Lost. Since then, Doctor Who has dealt with reptilians. They have appeared in the Stargate universe and even accomplished a takeover of Earth in the series V, which they promptly encountered a lively human resistance. You see, we're just not ready to be ruled by galactic geckos. That being said, there are reports about a lizard man inhabiting the area of Lee County, South Carolina, called the Scape or Swamp. No indications that he has an agenda to take over the world, nor has he been seen electioneering for public office. He just ate somebody's car fender. Along with these mythological entertainment-oriented lizards, and with the explosion of the internet, we have, of course, encountered many supposed, supposed actual eyewitness account video evidences of lizard-human hybrids. Most, if not all of these, are suspect, in my opinion, due to the profusion of do-it-yourself video editing software. Just out of curiosity, what makes your BS detector go off? Moving on, Shades of the Monkey Monolith of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Recently, a rectangular metal monolith was sighted in Utah by someone looking for sheep by helicopter. The story goes that the monolith was placed illegally on public land. How can it be illegal if it's public? I don't know. Back in the summer of 2016, it was discovered in November just past. It went either undetected or unreported for over four years. Four years! Then, after a few days of infamy, four unidentified men came and removed it without explanation, although it has been reported that the men said simply, leave no trace, and left with the monolith. Then a similar monolith was found in Romania, and just as mysteriously as it appeared, it was gone. Then a third monolith appeared in California. It was then removed according to sources, by a group of young men variously described as military veterans, or Christians, or racists and fans of country music. I think the source of this report is tainted, but that's an opinion. And it's been reported that another triangular monolith has shown up in none other than San Antonio. But there were witnesses to its installation. This one is not metal it's wood and aluminum wonder how long this one will stay the question should be asked what is the meaning of these monoliths are they all originals or are they copycats who made them what's the reason for their placements i have none of these answers i have more questions though and believe me my bs detector is caterwauling something fierce and one leg is getting longer Moving on. In regard to the season, the holiday season, the Christmas season, an interesting side note to the popular holiday movie A Christmas Story, there's a ghost story attached to it. In the timeline of the movie, which has been much disputed, was it 37, 39, 40, after 40, what was it? The Wizard of Oz has a big part in the environment of the department store called Higby's, at the time of the movie. Apparently, store employees take on the roles of the Wicked Witch, the Scarecrow, the Cowardly Lion, Tin Man, and Dorothy, when Ralphie, the main character, is in line to make sure Santa knows what he wants, an official Red Ryder Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle. The Oz characters troll the line of children, and you see the Scarecrow walk by. The man who played that Scarecrow was Don Geyer, who was the head of display and fixtures at Higby's, which is now a Dillard's. Santa's throne in the movie is one of the chairs owned by Higby's that Santa used every year. After Geyer's death in nineteen ninety nine, his co-workers reported seeing him on the loading dock where he used to go smoke. And a few claim they heard his voice on the overhead paging system. What a unique Christmas spirit, eh? Moving on, Krampus, really? In Central European folklore, Krampus is a horned, anthropomorphic figure described as half goat, half demon, who during the Christmas season punishes children who have misbehaved. This contrasts with Saint Nicholas who rewards the well-behaved with gifts. Krampus is one of the companions of Saint Nicholas in several regions, including Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, Hungary, northern Italy, including south Tyrol and the Trentino and Slovenia. The origin of the figure is unclear. Some folklorists and anthropologists have postulated it as having pre-Christian origins. In traditional parades and in such events as the Krampuslauf, which is the Krampus run, young men dressed as Krampus participate. Such events occur annually in most Alpine towns. Krampus is featured on holiday greeting cards called Krampus Carton. What else would they be called? The history of the Krampus figure has been theorized as stretching back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions. In a brief article discussing the figure, published in 1958, Maurice Bruce wrote, there seems to be little doubt as to his true identity, for in no other form is the full regalia of the horned god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens, which entailed binding and scourging as a form of mock death. The chains could have been introduced in a Christian attempt to bind the devil but again, they could be a remnant of pagan initiation rites. Discussing his observations in 1975 while in Erdening, a small town in Styria, anthropologist John J. Honigman wrote that, "...the St. Nicholas festival we are describing incorporates cultural elements widely distributed in Europe, in some cases going back to pre-Christian times. Nicholas himself became popular in Germany around the 11th century. The feast dedicated to this patron of children is only one winter occasion in which children are the objects of special attention. Others being Martinmas, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and New Year's Day. Masked devils acting boisterously and making nuisances of themselves are known in Germany since at least the 16th century, while animal-masked devils combining dreadful comic antics appeared in medieval church plays. A large literature, much of it by a European folklorist, bears on these subjects. Austrians in the community we studied are quite aware of heathen elements being blended with Christian elements in the St. Nicholas customs and in other traditional winter ceremonies. They believe Krampus derives from a pagan supernatural who was assimilated to the Christian devil. The Krampus figures persisted, and by the 17th century, Krampus has been incorporated into Christian winter celebrations by pairing Krampus with St. Nicholas. In recent years, the myth that the Krampus was the son of hell, Norse goddess of the underworld, has been popularized on the Internet, even appearing in articles in National Geographic and Smithsonian Magazine. Can't be too solid to be gullible. However, this connection is likely the invention of the American fantasy artist and author Gerald Brom, whose 2012 novel Krampus the Yule Lord features Krampus as the main protagonist. The same idea also appeared shortly afterwards in two online games by the Norwegian Games producer Funcom. In the aftermath of the 1932 election in Austria, the Krampus tradition was prohibited by the Dollfuss regime under the clerical fascist fatherlands front and the Christian Social Party. In the 1950s, the government distributed pamphlets titled, Krampus is an Evil Man. Really. Towards the end of the century, a popular resurgence of Krampus celebrations occurred and continues today. The Krampus tradition is being revived in Bavaria as well, along with the local artistic tradition of hand-carved wooden masks. In 2019, there were reports of drunken or disorderly conduct by masked Krampuses, shouldn't that be Krampi, in some Austrian towns. Although Krampus appears in many variations, most share some common physical characteristics. He is hairy, usually brown or black, and has the cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long pointed tongue lolls out, and he has fangs. Krampus carries chains, thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. He thrashes the chains for dramatic effect. The chains are sometimes accompanied with bells of various sizes, Of more pagan origins are the rutin, bundles of birch branches that Krampus carries and with which he occasionally swats children. The rutin may have had significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. The birch branches are replaced with a whip in some representations. Sometimes Krampus appears with a sack or a basket strapped to his back. This is to cart off evil children for drowning, eating, or transport to hell. What a happy Christmas thought! Some of the older versions make mention of naughty children being put in the bag and taken away. This quality can be found in other companions of St. Nicholas, such as Zwarte Piet. The feast of St. Nicholas is celebrated in parts of Europe on 6th of December. On the preceding evening of 5 December, Krampus night, or Krampusnacht, the wicked hairy devil appears on the streets. Sometimes accompanying St. Nicholas and sometimes on his own, Krampus visits homes and businesses. The saint usually appears in the Eastern Rite vestments of a bishop, and he carries a golden ceremonial staff. Unlike North American versions of Santa Claus, in these celebrations, St. Nicholas concerns himself only with the good children while Krampus is responsible for the bad. Nicholas dispenses gifts while Krampus supplies coal in the rootin' bundles. A seasonal play that is spread through the Alpine regions was known as the Nicholas Spiel, or the Nicholas play, inspired by Paradise plays which focused on Adam and Eve's encounter with the tempter. The Nicholas plays featured competition for the human souls and played on the question of morality. In these Nicholas plays, St. Nicholas would reward children for scholarly efforts rather than for good behavior. This is a theme that grew in Alpine regions where the Roman Catholic Church had significant influence. There were already established pagan traditions in the Alpine regions that became intertwined with Catholicism. People would masquerade as a devilish figure known as Perched, a two-legged humanoid goat with a giraffe-like neck wearing animal furs. People wore costumes and marched in processions known as perchtenlaufs, which are regarded as an earlier form of the Krampus runs. Perchtenlaufs were looked at with suspicion by the Catholic Church and banned by some civil authorities. Due to sparse population and rugged environments within the Alpine region, the ban was not effective nor easily enforced, rendering the ban useless. Eventually, the Perchtenlauf, inspired by the Nicholas plays, introduced St. Nicholas and his set of good morals. The Percht transformed into what is now known as Krampus and was made to be subject to St. Nicholas's will. It is customary to offer a Krampus schnapps, a strong distilled fruit brandy. These runs may include Perchten, similarly wild pagan spirits of Germanic folklore, and sometimes female in representation, although the Perchten are properly associated with the period between winter solstice and January 6th. Europeans have been exchanging greeting cards featuring Krampus since the 1800s. Sometimes introduced with Grossovam Krampus, Greetings from Krampus, the cards usually have humorous rhymes and poems. Krampus is often featured looming menacingly over children. He is also shown as having one human foot and one cloven hoof. Over time, the representation of Krampus in the cards has changed. Older versions have a more frightening Krampus, while modern versions have a more Cupid-like Krampus, and he is also adorned postcards and candy containers. In Styria, the rootin' bundles are presented by Krampus to families. The twigs are painted gold and displayed year-round in the house, a reminder to any child who has temporarily forgotten Krampus. In smaller, more isolated villages, the figure has other beastly companions, such as the antlered wild man figures, and Saint Nicholas is nowhere to be seen. These Styrian companions of Krampus are often called Schabmänner or Rauhen. A toned-down version of Krampus is part of the popular Christmas markets in in Austrian urban centers like Salzburg. In these, more tourist-friendly interpretations, Krampus is more humorous than fearsome. In Cave del Predil, in the northern part of the Udine province in Italy, an annual Krampus festival is held in early December. Just before the sun sets, the Krampus comes out of an old cave and chases children, boys but also adults, punishing them with strokes on the legs to satisfy their anger. Children and young people must recite a prayer. Similar figures are recorded in neighboring areas. Klaubauf, Austria, while Bartel or Bartel, Niglo Bartel and Wu Bartel are used in the southern part of the country. In many parts of Croatia, Krampus is described as a devil wearing a cloth sack around his waist and chains around his neck, ankles, and wrists. As a part of tradition, when a child receives a gift from Saint Nicholas, he is given a golden branch to represent his good deeds throughout the year. However, if the child has misbehaved, Krampus will take the gifts for himself and leave only a silver branch to represent the child's bad acts. Costume characters are a central part of all Krampus celebration. These characters include Krampus, St. Nicholas, the woodsman, angels, and the old woman. As Krampus is half goat and half demon, the costume normally shares certain primary elements such as a fursuit, horns, demon mask, and hooves. Props commonly used are bells, a birch switch, a basket worn on the back, chains, walking staff, a horsehair or hemp flogger, and the traditional Krampus costumes are made from goat or sheep skins, animal horns, and hand-carved masks. More often they are made with modern and less costly materials, such as fake fur and latex masks. Several Krampus costumes instructional YouTube videos are also available. The character of Krampus has been imported and modified for various North American media including print, e.g. Krampus, The Devil of Christmas, a collection of vintage postcards by Monty Beecham in 2004, Krampus, The Yule Lord, a 2012 novel by Gerald Brom, television, both live action, A Krampus Carol, a 2012 episode of The Lead, and animation. A Very Venture Christmas, a 2004 episode of The Venture Brothers, Minstrel Krampus, a 2013 episode of American Dad, video games, Carnival, a 1998 arcade game, The Binding of Isaac, Rebirth, a 2014 video game, and film, Krampus, a 2015 Christmas comedy horror movie from Universal Pictures. Seriously, we need a demon to go along with Santa. Are we in bad shape or what? Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show. Different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and Unexplained Cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, Download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the, all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.